kind of spurred Pink Week because when I arrived, I was at an all girls school for most of my life. Um, and, you know, breast cancer was never spoken about. And we know that the earlier that you catch breast cancer, you know, the higher the chance of survival. So it made perfect logical sense to me to start talking about this from a younger age. Purposely Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. Everyone, welcome to episode 34 of Purposely Podcast with Nina Rauch, the founder of Pink Week. Inspired by her late mother, she shone a light on breast cancer and raised thousands for that cause. She gives her views on Gen Z and how charities underestimate them. And Nina also talks about a fabulous job she has with InsureTech leaders Lemonade. If you get a chance, leave a review, make sure you hit subscribe, and if you can share it with at least one friend, it would help me to grow my audience. Enjoy the show. A big and massive warm welcome to Nina Rauch. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Nina's giggling because um, she's before we started this podcast, she kind of gave me a lesson on how to pronounce her name, and um, I'm, I didn't do a very good job. But um, yeah, you really did a good great job. <laughs> oh, thank you, Pinkwing, because it was inspired by a really must have been tragic part of your life and, and losing yeah. your mum, Dina, who was a renowned journalist for The Guardian. In fact, I remember reading her stuff. Um, I think she wrote in G2. She was a regular columnist. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> she was a, a brilliant, a brilliant writer, a brilliant person, brilliant mother. Um, yeah. I how old were you? Do you mind me asking about how yeah, old you well, were when you lost her? I was um, turning 14. Uh-huh. And you had that siblings, her yeah, experience, um, yeah. Yeah, older siblings, big family. Uh, she was an incredibly important part of my life and continues to be. Like, I think the activism that she showed, especially throughout her illness, you know, how vocal she was with writing about breast cancer awareness. She raised £100,000 in the final year of her life um, for breast cancer research, really kind of influenced me and inspired me to do the same and I, I don't think I would have turned to Pink Week I mean I wouldn't have had the need to I don't think I think to be completely candid you don't really feel as motivated to you know dedicate yourself to causes and awareness unless you've been impacted um, and so I think for me it was also a form of healing but I definitely think that it was motivated by her and kind of how how open she was about breast cancer. She was incredibly open, wasn't she? And, and yeah. you, I think what around the kitchen table, nothing was off limits. Is that how you remember it? <laughs> that is exactly how I remember it. My mom was very much, you know, she was an advocate for free speech, especially at home and making sure that, you know, nothing was felt uncomfortable or taboo. And I think that's really important with breast cancer, especially because, you know, although it is the, I think, you know, one of the most funded causes, especially in the UK, and there's a lot of organizations dedicating funding towards it. It's still slightly a taboo topic. Um, and my mom made sure to kind of erase that from our understanding at least. And that's what kind of spurred Pink Week because when I arrived, I was at an all girls school 
for most of my life. Um, and, you know, breast cancer was never spoken about. And we know that the earlier that you catch breast cancer, you know, the higher the chance of survival. So it made perfect logical sense to me to start talking about this from a younger age um, and to increase preventative measures. And yet it's not spoken about. So I wanted to mm. kind of change that. And that's why I started Pink Week to target a younger generation. Because although we're not, you know, the most vulnerable at that age, the more aware we are, we can prevent it when it does become more of a risk. Yeah, absolutely. And so just describe, you're in the UK at this point and you're at an all-girls school in which part of the country? Um, in London. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and, do you, and did you, so you, you launched Pink Week not really fully understanding how big it would be or how successful it would be. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, do you think, can you know, like this very personal story um, and you, did you sort of, put yourself out of your comfort zone and and really connect the, the week with your own personal story how did you sort of launch it and how and why do you think it was so successful definitely it, I, mean, mm. I think with you know for lack of a better terminology I almost I didn't capitalize on my personal story but I had to use my personal story in order to show that this was a genuine risk and that it was something that I was informed about and that I felt you know confident in speaking to um, and so, yeah, I was 16 and it started very much kind of at home. I just decided to do a pink day. It was a one-off day at school. I, I went to quite a strict school and they didn't allow me to do like a no, I don't know what you would call it in Australia, but like a non-school non uniform day or mufti day. Yeah, mufti day. Mm. Um, so <laughs> the first year that I tried to run it, they said, no, absolutely not. You can do pink accessories. And I was like, that's enough for me. I'm going to go for that. And I went out and I um, got sponsorship for a ton of pink accessories, spread them around the school. And my focus was awareness. Uh, raising money was very much a byproduct and an afterthought. And the fact that we ended up raising, you know, a thousand pounds from a bunch of teenagers suddenly made me think that perhaps we can raise quite a significant amount from micro donations. And that's really motivated me until today, I would say you know, not kind of ignoring that Gen Z has an incredible spending power, they're socially conscious consumers, and therefore, they can be, you know, as significant donors as, as perhaps people who are more established in their careers. Uh, it's just important not to dismiss them. So, so I started when I was 16, um, we did this pink day. Then when I brought it to university, I tried to, you know, plan it and flesh it out into a full blown week of events and we alternated between paid and free events um, to make sure that it was accessible to everyone. And it just kind of spiraled and grew. It spread to, I think, nearly 10 campuses. Um, we were raising significant amount of money in very short um, spaces of time. One event raised 80,000, I think it was $80,000 in under an hour, purely just from selling tickets to students. Um, and I think the trick was really to make it a priority that the events were cheap, very much micro donation focused but you know about the numbers so as many people as possible that's going to build up our funding um and yeah it just became kind of a, a monster of its own but yeah. definitely connected at the core to my mom's legacy and you know the work that she did and um to this day i think i mean it's still running i have less control and less um influence with it it's now more part of breast cancer now which is the largest breast cancer charity in the uk but it's definitely still going strong. And I think it really paved a way for just changing the way that we think about donations and who the traditional donor is. Um, mm. so, yeah. 
yeah and and to, I always think of people who found charities and often like for you a big driver was your mum and your mum's memory mm-hmm. um did you sort of walking away was a bit about not wanting to be defined fully on pink week and actually just wanted to explore and discover new things in life and to create other stories or like yeah, but, sure. yeah. I think I actually felt kind of lost when I finished because I was confused whether my passion was helping people and social, you know, and activism, social good, or whether my passion was breast cancer awareness and kind of my automatic trajectory for my career felt at that time was to work for a breast cancer charity, but it didn't speak to me. So it really was, you know, I did feel like I was walking away from something that had defined me for several years. I loved it. I really loved it. I mean, it's where Pink Week grew to the extent that it did. And the people that I met there, especially my co-founder, her name is Kate Davis. She's just like an absolute visionary. Um, We connected straight away and she helped me develop Pink Week to what it was. But I mean, Cambridge was difficult. It's a very competitive environment and it's an intense, intense environment. But I do think that it was the right place for me. And I felt I felt good and it developed my character in ways that mm. I didn't and didn't anticipate really. Yeah, and but you had quite, must have quite a profile on campus, I imagine, based on what you'd done there. Um, so you did well, uh, say that. <laughs> cl- classical and ancient studies, is that right? Yeah, exactly. Mm, brilliant. Um, and so that led to a career in, um, as you said, early career in um, a not-for-profit world. So you did some um, great work with WaterAid uh, yeah. in London, is that right? Yeah, exactly. I worked for WaterAid. Mm. Yeah. And uh, you had some, some sort of a, slight, a slightly unusual job for them, wasn't it? Around um, uh, your clients like Armani, uh, Wimbledon. Um, <laughs> it's a quite gla- glamour uh, roles. WaterAid's an incredible charity. I mean, they have, I mean, they're functioning as if they are for profit in the way that they're structured. They're so tightly run. They have big part, you know, big time clients for their advertising, their partnerships. And I was sitting on the kind of the press desk. So I had access to that. But yeah, I think it's an amazing, amazing charity. One of the the most effective, most efficient, super transparent. I I can't fault it. I think it's an amazing organization. Yeah, because I think one of the misnomers that um, just because it's an NGO or not for profit or charity that it has to be something anything other than hugely efficient and because ultimately it's about raising money for the cause isn't it we now start talking about lemonade i'm the social impact coordinator for lemonade um, which is an insurance company with a difference Um, traditional insurance companies work by calling small amounts of money from a large group of people to pay for the unlucky few who suffer losses, which are covered losses, which are your claims. But it's almost impossible to predict how much money will be needed to cover these losses. So the amounts people are asked to pay is often higher than what's needed most years and there's money left over. Um, so we're doing something a little bit different to most insurance companies. We're not keeping this as profit. Instead, once a year during our give back, we donate the leftover dollars to nonprofit partners chosen by our customers, which is the Lemonade community. So Lemonade's really kind of driving this pathway of bridging the gap between the for-profit and the non-profit community, very much versed in tech. Um, I think that's kind of the main driver for how we're doing it. And so my role is to look after all things, give back, 
but broader than that, anything to do with social impact responses, you know, in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement and the protests that we saw over the summer of 2020, kind of making sure that we're always responding correctly and, you know, planting ourselves on the right side of history. We're also a B Corp, which means that we have kind of a legal mission to do good and be good. So that helps kind of act as our guiding light as a socially impactful business model. Do you remember the story, how you got the job, how you applied or? Yeah, so I mean, I was really struggling to find a role that suited me. I had only ever had experience in the nonprofit sector, but I just wasn't feeling fulfilled and kind of as motivated as I should have been. And actually, it's all thanks to my dad. <laughs> he told me that I should really think outside of the box and not kind of focus only on the nonprofit sector, but that there could be opportunities in the for-profit sector, which were equally as impactful and equally focused on social good. And that's really how I came across Lemonade. I Googled, um, I was based in Israel at the time in Tel Aviv, or still am, and I Googled which are the B Corps out of Israel, and I found Lemonade. Um, and that was my kind of main uh, main priority and main focus as to kind of where I wanted to work. So that's how I came across it. And then I applied and it just happened to be a good timing and, and the perfect role, really. I, I honestly kind of going on what you said, if you had told me a few years ago that the most impactful role I could hold would be at an insurance company. Like if you had told me that in university, I would never have believed you. Um, I didn't think that it would have been possible or it, nor did it seem like a, a, you know, a sexy or engaging industry to me. But what Lemonade's doing is really kind of changing the game on that. Um, and yeah. I think social good is a, a really big part of that. And especially the tech element. I mean, without the technology, we wouldn't be able to make giving as easy and as tangible and also as relatable to Gen Z and millennials. I think a core value for Gen Z giving is transparency. Um, you know, charities have been constantly focused on older donors with greater financial resources. And this has led to this generation, generational gap in giving that just shouldn't exist. I think 30 years ago, people over 60 were giving around a third of overall charity donations. And I would think, uh, don't quote, well, you can quote me on this. <laughs> I yeah. think now more than half of all donations are from people over 60. So this gap that's kind of continuing to go really shouldn't exist. And that's because nonprofits are maybe slightly out of touch with Gen Z and what they want to believe in and what they want to give to. And that's why I think the Lemonade Give Back does such a great job because it's kind of bridging this gap and it's speaking to, you know, Gen Z and millennials in a way that maybe nonprofits can't. It's kind of facilitating more of a connection, especially with the focus on technology. It's a language that you know, this generation is speaking. Um, but yeah, I think transparency is key. I think that's why we're very specific with the partners that we work with at, at Lemonade. We wanna make sure that the organizations that we work with can give us a very clear idea of where their money is going so that we can then translate that and take it back to our customers. And we also like to take stands as a company, which is something that I think Gen Z really, really holds, um, um, you know, value to and speaks to. So gun prevention, for example, is something that we've stood behind. It's substantially underfunded um, in the US. I think it's one of the least funded causes, but in 2020, Lemonade donated over $58,000 to youth-led um, March for Our Lives, which is a gun prevention organization. And it just shows that we're really kind of putting our money where our mouth is, and we're not afraid to you know, stand behind what we believe. Is there one book that you 
has changed your life and you would advise recommend people read one book that has changed my life I wouldn't say it changed my life, but I would definitely recommend people to read my mom's book. She speaks really well about breast cancer awareness. Um, it's called Take Off Your Party Dress by Dina Rabinovich. And, you know, can still can still plug for her. <laughs> so I would definitely take this opportunity to do that. <laughs> yeah. And do you do you, read, do you still pick it up and, and have a read through? And do you, do you reflect yeah, on it? Or? I, yeah, for sure. I really do. Um, it's something that's you know, very precious to me and, and I keep it. And also she donated a lot of money from the profits for, for charity. So joining me, it's been a real pleasure and um, let's stay you. connected. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. I hope you like what you're hearing. Please subscribe and leave a review. <laughs> baked spaghetti <laughs> baked spaghetti tell me about that how do you do baked spaghetti <laughs> it's my favorite food <laughs> it's just my mom used to make it for me on my birthday it's um it's I actually haven't had it in years it's like pasta baked but with spaghetti and it's so mm. good and you like leave until it gets really crunchy oh, yum <laughs> wow. I'll have to I'll have to try that yeah, um, definitely. thank you Nina that's that's awesome